Hey everyone, welcome to Health Addicts. Before we get started though, remember, this show is for entertainment purposes only, meaning I'm not your doctor. So if you have questions about the information and content on this show, ask your doctor, okay? Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Wait, how many carbs am I really supposed to be eating? How much sleep do I actually need? Am I supposed to be even taking vitamins? Guess I better listen to The The Health Health Addict Show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Health Addict Show. I'm your host, Tommy J, and I have a good episode for you today. Today, we are going to talk about colorblindness. So it's kind of a funny topic because colorblindness really isn't, you're not blind. You're just having a deficiency in the way you can see the colors. So it's kind of funny that it's labeled actually as being blind because you're definitely not blind. There's nothing wrong with the way you're visually seeing the world around us. It's just how your brain can interpret the information being given because technically the objects are still going to have some color to them. It's just going to be a different shade or it might be off the certain colors that you are off on the spectrum for. So there's still going to be something there. It's not like you're totally blind to what's in front of you unless it's all one shade of color. Then you're definitely going to have some kind of blindness. But overall, though, it's a color vision deficiency. And surprisingly, it has a lot to do with genetics. It's not just something didn't form right when you're growing up. It has to do with how your body genetically can build the rods and cones in our eyes that we need to see with. So there actually is a genetic component to it, and it has to do with the X chromosome. So interestingly, men are actually more susceptible to colorblindness than women. And actually, there's a statistic that said about 1 in 12 men have some form of colorblindness. It's roughly about maybe one to 200 women. There's about 3 million people in America and about 300 million worldwide with colorblindness. So the reason the males get it more often is because they only need it on the X chromosome to be expressed for them to have colorblindness, where females need it on both X chromosomes because you're XX female, XY male. Females need both X chromosomes to be expressatory chromosomes, where men only need the X chromosome from the XY to be expressatory. So, meaning men are more likely to be colorblind than female. And there's other ways to get colorblindness besides genetics, but it's actually the most common way. It's passed down hereditarily. But two things right away, there really isn't a cure for colorblindness because there's no real way to fix what's going on between the interpretation from what happens in your eye all the way to the brain. I mean, we have ways to disrupt it because the brain can be tricked using other methods, but there isn't no singular pill, cure, surgery that just automatically fix colorblindness. And secondly, it can be so subtle, some people don't even know they're colorblind until something happens to them to realize that there may be two different colors happening because they only see a certain shade or the colors just blend together. But first, let's talk about how vision actually works from the eye to the brain and how we see. So we have two eyes that we see out of. I think this is a pretty easy concept that most of us understand. Anatomically, it's pretty much across the board that most people are born with two eyes. And the vision idea, I think most people can understand that, but it's also used for balance. And if you need a quick understanding of this, stand on one foot and close your eyes and see how long you can balance on that foot. For a lot of people, it's a little bit more tricky to try and balance on that one foot with your eyes closed. So 
that might be something simple trick you can do for yourself. But these are very sensitive and complex organs. Almost 70% of all our sensory input comes from our eyes. That tells you how much of our world that we sense and feel and touch and hear actually comes from us just visually seeing it. So on the outside of the eye, you have the sclera. It's that white, very dense connective tissue that kind of keeps the structure of the eye. Along with the inside, you have the vitreous fluid, but this kind of keeps the shape of the globular object so it fits inside that socket. Also on the outside, you have that clear lens called the cornea. This also protects the inside of the eye, but still allows light to come through. But just know that the cornea is not the actual lens of the eye. You do have a lens, but it's in that next layer we're going to talk about. So that middle layer is the choroid layer, and that's where the muscular vasculature is all in, that middle layer. It also has the iris, that colored part of your eye that works as a window to help make the pupil. It's a sphincter muscle, and yes, I know I said sphincter, and it is because it's a circular muscle that helps open and dilate that pupil, which allows light to come into the center of the eye. And a quick little fact about your iris, everyone's iris is different. But I'm not talking just about color. I'm talking about the grooves and bumps and pigmentations of the actual iris, and it's almost like a fingerprint. Everyone's irises are different. Doesn't matter if they're blue, green, hazel, brown. It just has a different imprint. So that's why you can use them for security for opening up objects. So just when you think you're not unique, you are very unique. Just look at your iris. So we kind of talked about the pupil already, but the pupil is a window. It's not really an object or a well-defined piece of the body, but it's an opening as a window because it allows and regulates how much light can come into the eye. Because in darkness, you want that pupil to really dilate to allow as much light into the eye so we can see better. But when it's really bright outside, we want to limit as much light can come into the eye so that we're not being blinded. Because those sensory cells inside the eye are very sensitive and they need to adjust and takes time. But that pupil helps them take that time. And healthcare workers actually like this reaction. So we'll shine lights into people's eyes to check pupillary function. And this is a great way to see if the messaging system is working between the eyes and the brain. So we know that the visual cortex is working because that autosensory function of the pupil opening and closing tells us a lot about how the patient is doing. Anyways, though, behind the pupil is that lens and that lens helps us focus that light and it can contract and expand or it can really constrict and close that light in a very focal position and this allows us to have far sight and near sight so that we can see objects at a distance and up close think of it how your binoculars work you can extend open to really increase the sight or contracts and comes in real close in so you can see something near you but now we're on the inside of the eye we're in that retina where it holds all the neural processes that's where all of those receptor sites and photoreceptor sites are at so that we can actually start to create vision so that retina is actually made of two layers. You have a pigmented layer and a neural layer. And the pigmented layer is made of a darker pigment so that it can help absorb the light. So light doesn't bounce around inside that retina. Think about where you wear dark clothing outside and light clothing outside. When you wear dark clothing, it helps absorb that light. So you're just a little bit hotter, but the light's absorbed into you. Versus where you're wearing light clothing, it's being reflected all over place and off. So that pigment layer helps absorb that light and keep it more dense and focal. 
And if you haven't guessed it already, the neural layer is where all those photoreceptors are actually at, where we talk about rods and cones and basal ganglia and neurons, where they fire action potentials up the optic nerve. So this is where all the actual interpretation from the eye happens. So what do I mean by rods and cones? So there's two specific types of photoreceptors. Rods are used to help bring out light and shade and cones are used to visually see color. Now, they don't actually look like rods and cones. They just more or less resemble them. That's why they're named that way. But they're very specific types of cells, and they have a very specialized process. And without the way they're designed and made, we wouldn't be able to interpret light and have a visual acuity of what's going on. So rods pretty much help us see a grayscale or black and white. They help us more absorb light and be able to detect light in dark and in light places. And because of this, rods are very sensitive. They have to be sensitive because we want to see in the dark and we want to see in the light. So we need lots of them so that we can absorb as much light as possible in dark areas. And then if they don't have to fire as much, they don't have to fire as much. But it's nice to have as many as possible. Cones, on the other hand, are far and few between compared to rods. We actually have a very center mass in the back of the eye called the maculoluteum. And inside that maculoluteo, we have a fulvia centralis, and this is actually where the most dense amount of cones are. And cones are there to actually see color. But we don't actually see all colors. We really only see red, blue, and green. And that may seem strange, but with those three colors and a mix of them in together and firing, we can actually see the full spectrum that we do see just with red, blue, and green. And I don't know how much you remember from science, but remember, light has wavelengths and just like sound there's frequencies and amplitudes to all these lights and depending on the wavelength is the way the color is displayed so with those three types of cones we are able to see the full spectrum of color for example let's say we wanted to see a yellow school bus so the lights interpreted in our brain and showing off waveforms of green and red but not blue so by those action potentials being fired we're able to see yellow so as that bus is going by, those red and green cones are firing and sending messages down our optic nerve into the thalamus of the brain. And this is our interpretation center. This is where all information is processed. After it gets processed, it's sent to our visual cortex, which is in our occipital lobe or just the back of your head. And that's actually where the visual process stops right there. That's how we can visually see what's going on. So as you can see, vision is very, very complicated. If we didn't have all these processes working together, we couldn't see. And it kind of makes why colorblindness is so easy to mess up because you have so many things trying to work together to make vision possible. And now you can kind of see why better, why color blindness really isn't a type of blindness. It's just a deficiency disorder and one of those cones that aren't working as properly as it should be. So what are some symptoms of color blindness? Most of the time, they're pretty mild. Like I said, most people might not even notice them until something happens to where it either affects them in a negative way or somebody tells them, do you not realize this is the color we're actually describing? Because total color blindness is actually pretty rare. It takes a lot to have complete color blindness to the, your surroundings and just have the rods firing because rods don't give as much information as actually cones do. So your vision is actually going to be pretty blurry if you didn't have any cones working as well. 
But generally, it's just the difference between seeing colors, you're not seeing them as well, or how bright a color is, or just different shades of color. Sometimes you have some sensitivity to light itself just because the cones aren't working as well. So these are some symptoms that a lot of people have. But there is some things that put you at a high risk for getting colorblindness. And the first one, like we talked about, men are way more likely to have colorblindness than women. Also, like we talked about hereditary-wise, if you have a family history of colorblindness, then you're going to more than likely have a chance of getting colorblindness in the children and the children after that, especially if the other person has a history of colorblindness as well. There's also certain eye diseases that can cause colorblindness, like glaucoma or um, age-related macular degeneration can cause colorblindness. Certain other health problems like diabetes, um, sometimes Alzheimer's disease has been linked to it, or nerve diseases like multiple sclerosis has been linked to colorblindness. There's some other stuff that's been linked to it too, like Parkinson's disease, cataracts. There's certain medications, uh, a type of seizure medication that's been kind of related to giving blindness, but that one's really not as permanent as other ones. But even just normal aging, I mean, the aging of the eye, eventually everything does go and sometimes colorblindness can be one of them. Also, physical trauma. If you got something into your eye, a chemical or a blunt object hits your eye, I mean, that can cause colorblindness too. So there's many things that can cause colorblindness outside of just hereditary. So testing for colorblindness is actually kind of easy. I mean, you just have to show two colors that are pretty close together and see if they can distinguish if they put numbers or a graphic inside of it. Um, this can be in a chroma test or Ishihara test. There's many different names for it, but mostly you're just trying to see if they can see and differentiate the pigments inside the colors. But as easy as it is to diagnose, it's I mean, there is no cure for it. So you really just kind of have to treat the person and their symptoms as well as you can so that they can have a more normal life. Especially in the younger years when you're trying to learn something and a lot of the material is very color based and maybe graphic and defined by colors. Make sure that the person that is leading class or teaching your students or even kids know that the person is colorblind so they can help rectify the situation and help the student learn better. Because it's also going to inhibit them on the jobs that they get later. Right? You're going to have to pick a job that doesn't depend on you being able to differentiate different colors. And unfortunately, a lot of times in the medical field, we have different color uh, needles, tops of blood syringes. We have different colors for wipes that we use to clean patients with. So unless you can actually differentiate the colors, you can actually have a mishap in the way we treat our patients. But honestly, I've worked with a lot of colorblind people and they can tell different shades enough to where it doesn't affect their job performance, but sometimes it can. I have seen it happen where it does affect the way they work, but overall, most people can accommodate for the color deficiency. But interestingly enough, there's actually companies making glasses now that help polarize the light so that people with colorblindness can see a larger spectrum of colors. This pretty much changes the way those cones fire and interpret information so that the brain can see a larger spectrum of colors, giving these people finally a broader view of the colors that they can visually see. It's actually a really cool concept. Um, and Chroma is, I think, the one that makes it. And you probably could check it out. I'm sure there's plenty of videos even on it too. And you see these people and their reactions when they finally see a larger spectrum light. They see colors they have never seen before. Because sometimes the world can look almost a little pale with not as much differentiation in colors. There's also apps now coming out for your phone so that you can take a picture of an object and then the app can distinguish what colors are in the picture so that you can help visually see which one you're trying to pick. So there is stuff coming out, but unfortunately, there just isn't a cure for it yet.
But that's the great thing about the medical field. It's always changing. It's always adapting. And there's always new technologies coming out. So I can't wait to see what it holds for the future for colorblindness. But that's it, folks. That's really all I have on colorblindness that we're going to talk about today. I appreciate you tuning in. If you have questions or concerns or comments about the show, leave me some comments on any of the social media platforms. I look at them all every day. So hit me up, okay? Everyone stay addicted to your health, and I'll see you next time.